Greetings, everyone. This is the Hipster Snack bringing you today another episode of the Tomodachi Bros podcast. And with me today is my good friend, Master Ditaku. Yeah, yes. I am a master, but I don't know what a master of. You, I'm a, and you're a Pugum master, obviously. Yeah. Oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> you're a master of yourself and your environment and stealing everything in that environment. It is a hard life, <laughs> but it's not a life I chose. It's a life I found in somebody else's pocket. <laughs> that, that washes. So today, we are going to talk about games that one plays on top of a table. That you mean like a Game Boy? No. No, no, Jimmy Jimmy. No. Also, no. We're talking about... Also, also no. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, no. Second of all, no. <laughs> That's a Homestar Runner reference. We're going to be talking about uh, dice and paper games. Uh, we are going to talk about opening books and then opening your mind and visualizing an object in three-dimensional space and being able to rotate it in your mind's eye. That, okay, that last one's a little negotiable, but it helps. So, tabletop gaming. Let's let's start with the big mm -hmm. one. Let's get the big one out of the way. Let's talk about D&D for a minute because it was my gateway drug. It was the first tabletop I ever played. Uh, I was in middle school and I think it was AD&D. Um so I remember back then like it was that it was that build where everything had a million stipulations tied to it. It's like, oh, if you are playing X race, you can't play Y, Z, or A classes. And it's like, why? Screw you. That's why. Because Gary Gygax had a weird, weird, you know, boner for being kind of just unpleasant in terms of mechanics. Yeah. And, I don't, you know, I, I hear he was a fine, excellent game master, but I mean, look at old AD&D and tell me that this was not player hostile because it's extremely <laughs> player hostile. It, it is. It absolutely is. And uh, one of the funny things is I played an Elven Ranger and I learned later, that I'm fairly certain, I haven't proven this, but someone mentioned, it's like, I think only females can be <laughs> Elven Rangers. And I'm like, Why? Screw AD and D. Um, it was just kind of a it was a one player dungeon crawl kind of story. It was like a one off, uh, but it was enough to get me interested. About a year later is when I moved on to other games. But uh, yeah, no D and D was the first for me. So uh, what about what about you, Ditaku? Is what was your first Dungeons and the Dragons? Actually, no, it wasn't. Oh. And this is going to shock you and and make you laugh uproariously. Okay. Because of the irony, my very first one was Werewolf the Apocalypse. <laughs> no, please. No, please. Tell me all about your Black Spiral Dancer waifu. I, I cannot wait to hear this. Actually, I didn't get into that because basically I was like, 
I, I was trying to wrap my head around what an RPG was. Right. Um, so basically, he spent four hours making characters, and I was like, okay, I think I understand. And he's like, well, I got to go home now. Um, but it sounded really cool in my head, and I was like, oh, yeah, I could turn it into a werewolf, and it would be really cool. And, and my character was not a waifu. <laughs> uh, it was basically just an XP for me, you know, little, 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 little Ditaku. Yeah, but your first character in these sort of things almost always is. So, like, I think I think that's acceptable. And the only thing that I, I append to the asterisk of, you can start with that, but don't stay with that. Grow out from there and and embrace other ideas. That's a it's a little pro tip for all you you newblits out there. All the chillins. All the chillins, that's right. Your chillins with your five E's and your four E's. I'll oh, be they're honest. Moving on. They're moving on to six E now, and I'm I'm like <laughs> uh, it's been a few years, so like fine. I can't grouse too much. My favorite tabletop's on its sixth iteration, and it started back in the eighties, so it's whatever. That said, uh yeah, I got into tabletop gaming late middle school, and my our good buddy Cog and another friend uh, who I have fallen out of contact with since, uh, we got into Old World of Derpness, specifically Vampire the Masquerade, though my gateway drug for that was Vampire the Masquerade Redemption. Uh, a Which is excellent game. It is. It is very. It doesn't run on modern (laughs) computers. It it runs, but you got to do a lot of finagling. Uh, I was surprised I got it to run for the review I did a few years ago, and even then, I could get the biggest screen render to be like twenty five percent of my monitor. And I'm like, yeah, okay, this is fine, I guess. (laughs) Really great game, though. I love Redemption. It's such a good game. It's also probably what makes me the Bruja fanboy I am today. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, I played Redemption, and then uh, we found the GM. Guy was a little bit of a D-bag, but he was a fair GM, so I can't complain overly much. Uh, Cog and our friend and I, we had a really good uh, circle. I had a Bruja. Cog played a Tremere who was following Path of Flame. And our buddy was our Malkavian. And he was intensely paranoid that the BBC was attempting to read his thoughts. And when we asked for more details on that, he refused to elaborate. <laughs> he was, yeah, so, uh, so basically you were playing with male sticks, the badger. Yeah. Yeah. Basically like a, a leaner Alex Jones, basically. <laughs> You know, it's funny is that 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 is entirely within um, that is entirely within setting um, for what you call it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it totally is. We didn't know how good um, we were at it until later. No, no, I'm just saying it's entirely in setting with World of Darkness because um, the entire thing with the worm is it like slowly trying to destroy nature through society. Yeah, and it would actually like slowly corrupt people through civilization which honestly i think was kind of 
done very ham-handedly. But, you know, it was the 90s. Yeah. You know, know, we haven't really gotten away from it. You know, Fern Gully was a thing. That That was was a thing that existed. That is is fair to say. Can, Can I just say, have we, like, seriously not moved on from, like, giant thing destroys the rainforest? Is that... Or, or is there, like, some kind of new, like, terror that, you know, they're using against us now? I I don't go to the movies like I used to. It's like $15 no, just, for a matinee, so it's like, I don't give up the pop culture. No, I'm just thinking in terms of, like, you know, what's what's the big thing that's going to kill us now? Uh, of, you know, yeah, no, they're still pretty much on about that. Is it is it the plastics ocean island ocean that's like no one can ever seem to get a picture of? No. Shrug. <laughs> it's just yeah. General ZOMG to carbon footprint. That guys, that was a an ad campaign by British Petroleum trying to move the onus of environmental responsibility to the consumer rather than big megacorps. Do your research on these things. That said, never mind the fact that never mind the fact that you know the vast majority of, of carbon, that sort of thing is done not in Western nations. It's done in uh, India and China, but no one ever talks about that. Yeah, not Anywho. supposed to bring that one up. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> no, our ours was a good circle. Uh, I was the, the the muscle, cog was the magic, and our Malkavian, weirdly enough, was the face of our group. Which tells you just how antisocial the other two characters were. Um, it, it, is this the part where we, you know, explain that our podcast is, you know, being supported by the Camarilla? <laughs> yeah. We, we were, yeah, we were very pro Cami. Um, it's like, you know, it's not that the anarchists don't have fair points, but anarchism is a meme at best and not a particularly good one. Real, real anarchism has never been tried, guys. Yeah, and some form of government would still form. Spoiler alert. Um, so, one of one of our favorite missions, and this will stick with me to my dying day, we had to infiltrate a Giovanni warehouse because they were smuggling some old artifacts from the old world that were dangerously high level. But at the same time, the Camarilla couldn't afford to send actually important people. They needed someone who was deniable. So they sent us. <laughs> and are, are you sure that the that your GM didn't literally play Bloodlines? Because I'm pretty sure that that was a late-level I don't bloodlines. think Bloodlines existed yet. <laughs> I think that was before that game was made. Um. <clears throat> So we went through and we, we killed like a lot of mans because Giovanni were one of our favorite targets because we just really hate Giovanni. <laughs> we have every reason to hate Giovanni. The irony of the Giovanni being the last uh, branch of the one of your favorite, uh, excuse me, your favorite clans. Yeah, but they only got that for, through Diablerie, so I have no reason to show them any mercy. Uh, it was actually a common headcanon that some small sects of proper Cappadocians were still around at the time, but they were pretty much had to be in hiding at all times because, well, 
we were playing in New York City, and Giovanni basically owned that city. So, yeah, sucks. According, according to the 20th anniversary version there, uh, not only were actually uh, enclaves of Cappadocian still around, but there literally were zombie Cappadocians that walked out of the underworld um, because they were basically zombie ghost vampires <laughs> that were animated by their own necromancy and their own hatred of the Giovannis to the point that they joined the Sabbat, not to destroy the Antediluvians, but specifically to kill any Giovanni they could. Based. Yes. <laughs> and um, we. I agree. We, we went through this compound, pretty much wrecked everyone inside, and pretty much opened the path for the rest of the Camarilla's important guys to come in and do their thing. So we're like, okay, we got to get out of here. But now there's like civilian police, like civilians outside. There's police encircling the building. It's going to be a bloodbath. We tried to go out the way we came. So it's like, oh, wait a minute. We'll go through the sewers. The sewers belong to the Nosferatu, and they're on our side. So we can just cut through the sewers, and we'll be fine. And so we, we start down, and everything seems to be going okay <laughs> until our GM decided to take a page out of Redemption's book and send a giant mutant albino alligator after us. That sucked. We had to basically deliberately blow a gas line to get this thing off of us because it was so stupidly strong. And we were like, okay. I'm going to throw my lighter and we just have to like bail out of this water drainage pipe and basically hope that we land somewhere safe. So he's like, okay, you can do that, but you're going to draw a lot of attention to yourself. So you're going to have to do an athletics check and then a stealth check on top of it. And I was like, crap. Okay. That's not one of my specialties, but I'm going to give it a go. I rolled just enough. Cog rolled just enough. Our Malkavian succeeded at the athletics check and botched for the stealth roll. So he just flies out of the tube, he lands on the beach sand, gets up, and it's like, hey, everybody, I'm over here! <laughs> Ensuing a Benny Hill-inspired chase sequence. It was beautiful in the chaos that ensued. I don't know. You know what? I'm not such a bad GM anymore after that, huh? <laughs> I never required you guys to do that. No, that is true facts. That is true facts. After that, there was a lull in our table topping, but come college, we, well, I had the opportunity to join a little group whereupon. I learned about the joys of D&D 3.5. 3.5 is crunchy as I'll get out. There is so much side content in 3.5. <laughs> well, insane. that's basically because it, it was the um, it was the system for like eight years. Yes. And, and so it's, it's it a had a system. lot. And, I mean, it's a it is a system. It's it's the first version of D&D I ever played. Uh, I would but, argue I mean, it's the best that D&D has ever been. Uh, I think it was the right balance between lethality and being able to tank a hit. 
because like tanks could actually tank and not just like explode into giblets the instant something hit them. And uh, we had a, we had a good party. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I was a dwarven warrior. Uh, we had a we had a null rogue who decided the entire time he would speak in character, he did the Scooby Doo voice. <laughs> And to this day, I cannot shake my association. So every time I'm like thinking of a Noel speaking, I hear the Scooby-Doo voice the entire time. <sighs> and he was good at it. He was actually very good at it. We had a uh, an elf wizard who had a really bad tendency to just never get good roles. Just ever. That was a tragedy. Um, oh, that too, huh? Yep. He he had he had the bad dice luck. He uh never never could roll to save his life. Um somehow he survived. I don't know how though. <laughs> maybe maybe higher powers really do favor the helpless. And we had oh, unlike ours. Uh where our wizard blew himself up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think we had a cleric. I forget what they were. He didn't really contribute very much. He was kind of the quiet one of our circle. And um, that game got zany because I actually joined after the game had already started. So I did not see some context. But um, I know one of the things that did happen was there was a local noble who had sent them out on a quest to help retrieve a stolen artifact. and. They did so, and it turns out he was the one who stole the artifact in the first place, and it was the rightful owners trying to get it back, because he undid the seal on these weird, ancient... Basically, they were like terracotta soldiers, but like super powerful terracotta soldiers. Uh, and the amulet controlled them, and we had to like run about three towns over to get away from this guy's influence. And pretty much for the rest of the game, Everything we did was done with the sole purpose of, okay, how are we going to kill this one guy? We we need to kill this one guy, and we are not going to rest until we killed him and smash that stupid amulet. Uh, petty, petty, you know, player character thoughts. <laughs> brilliant <laughs> that was i think that was largely the glue that held the party together because we, we were pretty dysfunctional um everyone kind of had an axe to grind so to speak but like we ended up becoming friends because we had enough mutual enemies that were like okay you're you you're okay i'll work with you but that guy that guy over there we need to kill that guy <laughs> and then we, we never got to finish out the campaign alas the story remains incomplete but we spent a lot of time scheming to kill that one guy <laughs> uh and then dnd 4e happened and it made it so that the players just never die there was there's like no fangs in 4e i tried to like 4e like a number of times but like every single time i'm like why does every character feel the same? Yeah, they all serve the same basic role, and everyone's basically a tank sweeper. And it's like, 
Nothing's different, and you just can't die. There's nothing in the game that can challenge a player character in that system. 5e is a little better in that respect. 5e is okay. (laughs) I'm sorry, my my doodles here. And you're like, yeah, there's nothing that can kill a character. And you just went, I'm like, yeah, yeah, little dude. (laughs) I feel that. I I feel that in my soul. Now, 5e was better. Uh, Our 5e game was pretty good. Uh, You guys can look up the tabletop G-Talks for that. Uh, Good stuff. But eventually we branched out into lots and lots and lots of other systems. Uh, I've been talking for a while. Uh, Ditaku, why don't don't you take the next one? Well, you see... Oh, I'm surprised you didn't talk about our freeform game. Um, oh yeah, I almost but, forgot. Honestly, I think the coolest. Uh, there was a while that we we kind of did a freeform thing, which actually we we kind of built rules for it as we went. And one of the things that I thought was the coolest bit was we basically built up this uh, system whereupon um, basically it would be uh you would declare your action usually some sort of attack or you know task that you wanted to do you would roll the gm would roll and whoever basically got the higher roll we were using a bunch of d20s because we are all a bunch of shameless nerds um would get the would actually succeed and the cool thing was though is that um and, and this kind of came up later was you could forego your defensive action. You just forego your defensive role and go, I'm going to counter. And counters became increasingly overpowered basically because the understanding was that if you were to fail the counter, then you would just take a huge amount of damage. Yep. And so uh, they, they were ridiculously overpowered as a consequence. Um, and uh, I recall a number of battles ending because of how overpowered these counters were. Yep. If you, uh, if you countered, you gave up any form of defense. So there was no dodging or soaking. You just took what the attack was, but that went both ways. And if you countered, you basically just interrupted the other turn completely and just got a free attack of your own. And there was no defense roll against a counter because of the high stakes behind the counter. So yeah, counterplay was just a huge part of combat. The closest I could think of is, and this is kind of a thing, is in a high-level technical Dead or Alive play, um, like characters like Nyo Tengu, who can just, you know, you, you attack her and she's just like, no, and just grabs your arm and deals her own attack with that. Oh yeah, no, any uh, character can do that. You just have to have really good timing. Yeah. I, I I know Neo Tengu is really really good at that sort of uh, counterplay, but yeah, um, she is. Yeah, it's just that sort of thing is, uh, and on top of that, the fact that the entire thing is basically based off anime and cartoons that we liked from that period. Yep. And so there was kind of a like a fourth wall as to like we actually were being watched by other people, and so if you did better, then more people would tune into us, and we would actually gain more power. Or if we started goofing off or doing poorly then people would you know 
like turn away or stop turning in. And so we would not get them their support. Admittedly, I kind of cribbed that from Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door, but it worked really well for the setting. And funny enough, uh, Chroma Squad would do something similar many years later. Yes, honestly, I thought it was really cool, and um, it it did kind of you know shape the entire like we were basically in a living cartoon, yeah. um, even to the point that um, effectively the fact that we could just basically shrug off or like we could recover from wounds so much quicker than regular people was effectively just because we're like yeah we're we're just cartoons yeah it's we're, the, next we're the main characters of cartoons so like the next episode basically it's the equivalent of D's long rest we're just like yeah yeah that's gone we're already, we're already over it yeah in fact uh this was actually about the time i want to say that we were starting to uh get into jojo yeah and so um we just joked uh because something we kind of noticed in the middle of uh, around part three was the fact that like Jotaro would just get completely destroyed in one fight. And then like the next chapter, he was like, Oh yeah, I'm good. I'm perfectly fine. So yeah. So we basically just started pulling that. (laughs) We're like, it's okay guys. This is the next chapter. (laughs) Didn't you just have a fountain pen stuffed halfway through your cheek? Ah, no, don't worry. It's the next chapter. Now that's gone. Now (laughs) it's all right. I have extremely high dexterity and precision. What does that have to do with healing? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, honestly, I don't know. It was really, it was really, really, really good. It's a shame that it just kind of ended, but you know, that's what happens when you get, you know, a uh, library dropped on you. Yeah. Thanks, Cog. Yeah, Thanks, yeah. That. Let, let's talk about that because that will stick with me until I die as well. We. <laughs> We borrowed very liberally from other sources. And Cog is like, guys, do you know about Cassian? And I was like, I know of. He's like, oh, well, he's like this super cyborg, superhuman, post-apocalypse killing robot story. And we're like, neat. And he's like, okay, so. And by the way, we were taking turns on being GM. So the, the story was very twisty, turny, roundabout, and... Yeah, we, we pretty much did whatever the heck we felt like at the time. <laughs> we went to this ancient library. It was supposedly there for like at least two or 3,000 years, and it contained basically a copy of every book written in that time. So these library bookshelves are like stories and stories tall. And like how you'd even navigate this place, you'd basically just have to be able to fly, basically. <laughs> Cog, as we're going through this library, is like, oh, this strange metallic man in a white suit appears before you and challenges you to a battle to the death. And during the fight, he sets the library on fire. So everything is burning pretty much floor to ceiling. And the ceiling's very high. And this dude, not Cashern, just starts knocking bookshelves over on top of us. So we're taking huge damage and we have to like keep like making rolls to just shove the burning books and wood and debris off of us to continue running for our lives. I don't know how we survived that. Uh, I had a Gundam. Oh, that's right. You were a mecha pilot. That's right. Yeah. 
I had a Gundam and basically I was just tanking the entire thing and he was like trying to knock me over and I'm like, no, no, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and I pretty much just got to follow in your wake as I recall. It was like that. So the, the burning library incident is, is one of those tabletop moments that, that went down in infamy because we were just like, holy crap, we barely pulled that one off. Yep. We never even beat not Cash Aaron. We just had to run for it. Yeah. If anything, he actually got tired of, of kicking our butts because eventually he just kind of was like, eh, I, I beat you guys. I'm going to leave now. I'm, I'm over like, it. Oh. And he just left. And oh. we're just like, oh, thank God. He lost interest. <laughs> Which technically, that means we win. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> um, that being said, I mean, um, honestly, at that point, I moved to the other side of the country, and Cog went off to college. Yeah, and that's basically when you know the the gang kind of broke up, unfortunately. But that was also the point that I I really got into. Uh, got into exalted i i actually discovered vampire the masquerade myself um and kind of became the grognar that you you know know and love today <laughs> yep yeah we got split up for a little while but we ended up getting the band back together uh, a couple years later and uh yeah no Ditaka was like hey i found this thing it's called exalted do you wish to play and i was like I I guess. And he's like, it's basically just everyone is like a demigod and they have huge kung fu battles. And I'm like, all right, I'm on board. Oh yeah, by the way, it uses the same system as vampire. And you're like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. So this should be easy. Then I looked at the charm system and went, holy crap, this is not easy. And I'm like, yes, isn't it great? Isn't it great? <laughs> he says with that poogum grin on his face. The, the thing is, is if the system is not 300 pages and like has a, a incredibly granular, incredibly complex power system, I, I ain't interested. And this yeah. is why I love Dragoning and why no one will play it with me. No, I, you know what? I think that should be the next one we do is like our most recent Exalt game kind of fizzled out. The Shadowrun game kind of fizzled out. It's like, you know what we need? We need Dungeons the Dragoning. I think that's the spark that's going to get things going. And I think that would even get a Ranger back in with us, you know, I think, if we did that. Because uh, he had a character ready to go from, from a past game. And I think I think he'd be uh, happy to revive him. So like, I think that I should know. be the next one. We'll talk, we'll talk about that after the podcast. We'll put that idea out before Clockwork and the others. No, no, I just don't like the fact that every single time I was trying to do something, clockwork was like, no, 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 that's not what I said. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that's what you said. And I'm pretty sure you just edited it. But okay, fine. Yeah, well, which is kind of my issue with Exalted at I was like, I had an idea of what I was going to do. And I, he kept his like, N -n 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 no, I'm like, dude, come on, man. And, and we got a ranger back in and we had like multiple people. I think it would just, it would flow more naturally. I think and that's the downside oh, to boy. small, small parties is, uh, you get hesitation and main character syndrome with really, really small parties. Well, 
well, I just kind of roll with it. You know, if nobody else is going to do anything, might as well just, you know, be like, I'm awesome. <laughs> That's right. Or in my case, you pose over a car because that's what hot blonde girls do apparently that was hysterical i'm sorry <laughs> oh well you know there's just there's the card it's like okay so you have the hot blonde girl yeah all right now you have to make a roll right. against what a roll against you know just bending over and just posing really sexily over this this strange machine yeah hmm. all right all right you fail I somehow feel compelled to lounge <laughs> on this vehicle. <laughs> Holy cow, I want one now. I, I mean, I did deliberately make her attractive, so I can't argue with results. Yeah, You, you know what? I, I'll, I'll go. I'll extend an olive branch here, Master Ditaku, and this will be recorded for the world to hear. You you kick off a Dungeons the Dragoning game, and, and we'll, we'll rope a ranger and clockwork, and maybe even cog into it. And uh, doing if you do that, I'll finally get off my snacky butt and launch a Log Horizon game. But for reasons, I, I will do it, and we'll be on the American server and everything. Wow, that means I get to play a buccaneer. <laughs> that literally is just a samurai, but apparently you have a long sword instead of a katana. Yep, buccaneers are cool though because they get swag. Yeah, they get cool uh, tricorn hats, and you know you get cool coats and stuff. Yep, they're they're they're, they're the swag mage. If we do that, though, we should uh, try and get Noodle interested because I know he had um, ideas for his character he wanted to do. Yeah, I'll ping him too. Plus, I, I have the books; I can send them to anyone who needs them. And uh, another another book I want to talk about, and this one was actually brought to my attention. Uh, as there's a, getting a revival of a Palladium book. And if you at home are going, what the heck is Palladium? Well, you're in good company because most people haven't heard of them. Palladium is they, old school. They were big in the, in the nineties, as I understand it, because of riffs. And, um, I, I like the conceit of riffs. The problem is, is that riffs is nineties as heck. It is for all the wrong reasons. It is really complex. It takes a long time to build a character, and it's hyper lethal. You will spend four hours making a character who will survive thirty minutes. Uh, now, among the Palladium books, the entire idea behind Rifts was you could have an infinite number of source books to draw upon, and the system would continue playing in roughly the same power level across every single book notable among these palladium books was teenage mutant ninja turtles and other strangeness which was obviously a tmnt themed tabletop book that came out in 1985 so it actually predates the 87 series and a lot of the conventions that we take for granted about the turtles to this day so uh, thanks to Rizia the Seeker for drawing this to my attention, but there is now currently a Kickstarter for a relaunch of the book. It's going to be the same system. It's still Rifts, so don't think this is like a brand new system. But they have, which is, uh, which is what I was asking when I when you brought it to my attention because you're like, oh hey look, you know they're they're bringing back TMNT and other strangeness. I'm like, great. 
is it still using the rift system though it, it seems like, yeah. like it is because it doesn't it does not um it, it seemed to very much be like it's the same system with like a few rule clarifications and, and some like cleaner language but it's otherwise it's the same system um that, that see i respect rifts i respect it for what it is but it's a terrifying system to actually play yeah yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah, because like it has a lot of cool stuff, and there are so many books that were made in the Rift system. But there's just like a ton of stuff to pull upon. But again, it's it's not a fun system to play, and that kind of sucks. I uh, mean, it's it's very, very, very insane. Like very, very like excited. Um, very just uh, unhinged 90s aspect of like, okay, guys, it's the future. And also the apocalypse happened. And also there are like Canadian knights that use power armor with rail guns. And also people who put steroids into their brains. So now they have like psychic powers, but they only live to be like seven years old because their brains are too strong. And it's like, this is basically axe cop the <laughs> tabletop game except it's also involves a lot of math i i had not put that together but now that you said it i can't unthink it i mean oh man am i am i wrong though no you pretty much have the right of it that's the that's the thing that kills me oh geez Okay, so let me let me ask you a question then, because we can't we can't just end it on you know us ragging on. um, So so what's like your out of all of your games? And I know you've played a lot, and I played a lot. Yeah. What is your favorite like mechanic or like quirk of a of a system that you are like? Yes, this thing right here. This is really cool. Really fun. Oh, geez. There are so many good answers to that. Um, I can think of a lot of stuff that I really, really like. And you better not take mine because I, I have one and I'm like, <laughs> I, I know you've played in a lot of our games. So uh, if it's exalted, no, the one I'm thinking of is something that Noodle taught me um, in Mutants and Masterminds. I was trying to build basically a not, well, I was a not green lantern, but the way I made my lanterns, like the blues were the main characters. Uh, same idea though. And I was like trying really carefully to, to replicate the power ring while keeping it thematically consistent for the character and mutants and masterminds. That's a very easy thing to do, by the way. And noodles like, Oh, then you have an array. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, yeah, it's an arrayed ability uh, because everything is tied to your bracelet. So the bracelet, it's a bracelet array of powers. And I'm like, okay, can you explain that to me? And he's explained it at least like two or three times. I still don't 100% know how it's calculated, but basically because it's a, it's, the power comes from the bracelet. It's not something innate to my character. Because of that, it has drawbacks, which is that it's removable. Because of that, you actually get that the benefit of a drawback 
which is a weird thing to even say, is you get certain perks for having drawbacks to your powers. So you can make them higher ranks because there are drawbacks to those powers. And he basically calculated the array for me and it was like, okay, this is what your bracelet actually looks like. And he's like, I can never ever like begin to even say that you are trying to be like a min maxer because you are really selling yourself like really, really short. And I'm like, Oh, thank you for fixing that. And it was one of those things uh, that's basically just black magic to me. Well, See, that's the problem, is that we were playing 2nd Edition. In 3rd Edition, they actually go into uh, the actual like math, and it's, it's basic yeah. arithmetic as to um, how you want to set up. But, I mean, uh, understandably also, though, I mean, the same thing is true of astrology and salted. Yeah. And it's weird. But it was like, it's literally just multiplication. Why is this considered, like, some strange form of magic. I mean, it is a strange form of magic, but it it's not like the actual like the ability to create miracles through astrology. It's literally just how long you want it to be, the duration and the scope. And that's it. And it basically gives you like, okay, it's the calculator it's this amount. from Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah, and it's like and, and you know, the community is like, "Oh my god, astrology is like Black magic. It's like it literally is third grade multiplication. <laughs> it's not even going into two times tables, <laughs> and you know to two digits. It's literally just you know one to five. I want to say it's not even up to nine or God forbid you know ten or higher. So, but you know this was like ooh scary. <laughs> Dude, the raid in Final Fantasy XIV that requires basic arithmetic routinely ends in party wipes. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Clockwork actually, you know, on several occasions got got dinged with that. It's like, dude, really? You don't understand multiples. <laughs> this really is not <laughs> difficult. It's not hard. I'm not dude. good at math. I'm not good at math. Yeah, like you literally are. I, you are a computer science major. You you know higher level math than I do. <laughs> or you ought to know higher level math than I do. Anyways. So, so what about you, Dutaku? What, what What's your go-to mechanic? See, then? see if this was actually originally a house rule, and I am convinced that the third edition devs of Exalted stole this from us because it literally <laughs> is in the third edition core rulebook. And we had been doing this for years before that. But um, the introduce fact idea in Exalted is such a cool idea. And it is basically, it is like a way for a player to effectively like kind of take, um, take advantage of, Basically, like to kind of take leverage of the situation. Um, to to explain, like, um, effectively, it allows the person to effectively assert something and kind of retcon that you know assertion to be a thing, and um, and in like really broad, very you know, not like entirely mapped out settings like exalted this works really well especially considering how like surreal a lot of just 
cultures and life, wildlife and stuff can just be. So you can just go, oh, yes, you know, there's giant walking lizards that just, you know, will propagate smaller, you know, colonies of frogs on their backs to feed on later. You know, they're the the gator buses. <laughs> oh, you, you you forgot the kegger. Or the kegger, yeah. The ke- yeah, the, the kegger who ate fruit and it would ferment in their stomach. And they're they were described as barrel chested lizards who you could eat and the contents of their stomach would cause the meat to become mildly alcoholic in nature. And there's also the jagger later, which I forget <laughs> what the difference between the kegger and the jagger was. I think the jagger is aquatic. And yeah, it, it lived on the in, lived in the rivers. The uh, keggers were desert dwelling, I believe. Uh, yes, that's right. And that was that was yeah. And so that was the entire thing was basically it allowed um, the players to eff- effectively like have fun and be like, oh yeah, this thing is is around us. The problem being, though, is that if you fail your roll, because there's a small roll attached to it, um, then usually, at least the way I presented it, was that um, you it wouldn't fail or like, oh, no, that's dumb, but it wouldn't be exactly the way that the player would want. So, you know, oh, yes, you know, the, the kegger would be a thing, but uh, the meat might be like highly toxic. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're like, oh man, this is really good, but no, they don't die. You know, type need, of thing. Need Pepto Bismol. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's the way I always did it, and it's kind of uh, the reason why actually pugums are the way they are is that they're not really like going to like be malicious, but they're definitely going to make your life interesting. Yeah, they're mischievous. Yes, and that's probably why no one ever else will ever really be able to do them justice, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, one of these days, I'll play a Pugum Rogue just to show people how it's done. Okay. I'm going to steal all the left Twix. Not the right uh, ones, just the left ones. There's going to be like a bounty hunter out for you from, you know, the candy man. <laughs> yes. King candy sends his regards. Oh no. Some popo. I can't do another nickel. Well, so, that's yeah, that's, that's, that's yes. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's my favorite. And because uh, partially as a GM, you know, it's like, oh, thank God, you know, my players actually have a little bit more, you know, desire to be invested in the game. And also because as a player, it's just a really fun little tool that you can use in order to, you know, if you want to do something or if you're if you just kind of have that last moment, aha, here's a way I can get around whatever the gm is trying to concoct for us and usually this will inevitably i mean this always kind of happens it ends in a lensman's arms race of the gm (laughs) cooking up something ridiculous the players cooking up something ridiculous and it just kind of gets out of hand 
But well, that's where the fun is. It's such a fun mechanic that I basically house ruled it into our Shadowrun game. So, yeah. Yeah, it ultimately really isn't like entirely dependent on Exalted. I think it, it works best for Exalted, though, because it's not like a hugely nailed down system or, or not system, but a setting. Yeah, the world is, like, is instance, deliberately couched in vagary. Yeah, so for instance, like you couldn't really have it, for instance, and in maybe like the uh, like a, a DC universe version of like mutants and masterminds or something like that. Yeah. Where they're like, oh yes, there's only seven old Kryptonians. That, that kind of rule like might need to exist though. Yeah. <laughs> so Oh, we're doing a Silver Age game then. <laughs> Very fast and loose fix. Yeah. Anything goes. And there's a gorilla ah, on every cover. Ah, but you see, my villain is Grant Morrison, man. He is <laughs> going to make your he's going to make your comic completely unintelligible. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and his friend Alan Moore, man, who's who's you know he lives in the trees and he he hates Margaret Thatcher really, really badly. Yes. Oh, man. All right. So how about in order to close out this episode, we prattle off a few recommendations. And and that way, the the folks at home can have a hunt around for some of these books. Uh, Nobilis. Nobilis Ah. is great. The third edition, which is, I want to say, the latest edition, is kind of hard to come by and has some pretty lulzy, like, deviant art tier art. That being said, it is probably the most uh, co- coherent and cogent of these the editions. Um, what else? I really like any of the Fantasy Flight Games books, honestly. Uh, right. Their D100 system is really, really great. And their, their critical tables are awesome because... He gets us like, oh no, I was shot in the arm. Oh no, my bones explode. <laughs> <laughs> One I would throw out there is Animon Story. I have yet to get a game off the ground. It's kind of my Dungeons the Dragoning in that respect. Uh, but it's specifically designed for people who love monster taming games. And if you want to do a monster taming game that doesn't have any kind of uh, fan lore fan works behind it it is a great substitute and even then you can make your own original monsters it's pretty great oh so you're saying we could do natsudamon yeah we could basically do natsudamon yes i actually had ideas for how to do a monster rancher tabletop i don't think it would even be that hard so then you have to do a lot of math i don't know about this guys no, I, I thought of some ways that could simplify it. I'm not going to bog down this episode with it, but maybe I'll go into my theory crafting on that sometime. Then you have to do a lot of math. <laughs> oh, but what if I play? What if I have a golden peach? Oh, crap. Hold on. I'm going to have to do more math. Oh, boy. And uh, another wait. one I'll, I'll put out there. It, hmm? Is this, wait, is this Fimbo or Agima? This is going to determine. <laughs> this is going to change a lot of stuff. I mean, technically, the lifespans would be quite different. 
Yeah. You know, one, uh, one thing I'll put out there, another good one in that same vein is monsters and other childish things. Oh, that's a good one too. It, it, it has this, like, it's one part comedy, one part horror. And the whole idea is like in this world, children have their guardians who are the monsters who live in the dark. And until I think until you're like 10 or something, you get your own monster who watches over you. And the whole thing is like the world is basically full of cryptids and demons and all this other crazy stuff. And it's these monsters who protect the children from these otherworldly horrors. And it's, it's, it's what would happen if Tim Burton made a monster taming game, basically. Yeah. I, I, I want to say the favorite one I, I saw was one of the examples that they give you, which is this little boy who has a suddenly has this very attractive stepmom who <laughs> is um, who is like perfect for his dad. You know, his dad's happy. You know, he actually has a mom again because his mom passed away. Uh, it's just that his mom suddenly, whenever his dad's not around, turns into this like gelatinous monster that no longer actually has uh she's basically no longer like human shaped it's just kind of a human suggestion and she'll just gain and lose limbs at you know whatever she needs them and uh but and she's really good at housework but you know she's <laughs> like i don't know if i should tell my dad about this or not she's <laughs> like i got like this you know shoggoth as my stepmom <laughs> That is pretty good. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, another one that uh, Dutaku and I were talking about earlier today is Legend of the Five Rings. Uh, yes. You want to be a samurai guy? You want you want to bust out your your ten thousand times folded Nakamer steel katanner? Uh, that's the system for you. You can basically do Dynasty Warriors the tabletop right there. It's not really Dynasty Warriors to tabletop. It's more of um, right. That'd be more like Legend of the Wu Lin. Uh, yeah, Leg- Legends of the Wu Lin would be more Dynasty Warriors. It's more Dissenter, just Bray. Right, that's like Samurai yeah. Warriors. Yeah, it's it's more. Yeah, it's it's literally I, as I recall, you can actually defeat someone by disgracing them in court etiquette. Yes, just like and you are. Great. It's like you are not not you know. You are being dishonorable and disgracing your ancestors. Leave now in shame. Oh, man. And then they have to. Yeah, you could, You actually get to break their willpower the same way you would reduce their HP. But you are just such a, a good performer in, in the, the, the great courts that it just breaks their spirit. And they're just like, oh, I am defeated now. Or, you know, you could just be a scorpion and just be like, eh. <laughs> I don't play by your rules. And they're like, no, wait, no, you can't do that. (laughs) No, the scorpions can actually. Also, also all of my, all of our women incredibly attractive. This is a rule, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually a thing. He's not making that one up. Yep. The problem is, is everyone hates you, but so, you know, having incredibly attractive moms, sisters, and cousins that you can, you know, leverage for, you know, political gain is just kind of the uh, consolation prize you have. Yep. So. Uh Uh-oh. 
the doodle's arm will cr- the, the doodle is army crawling over to me. <laughs> I think he's hungry. All right. Well, uh, unless you have any last minute uh, suggestions you want to throw out there, we can just wrap today up. I mean, apart from dungeons dragoning, but I think I've already talked about that. Yeah, no, you have. But uh, it is so, good. It is a fantastic book. Yeah. So. So. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, and uh, we hope that our tabletop stories may have inspired you to investigate this underappreciated medium. So uh, thank you, Ditaku-san, for joining me today. My pleasure. And this has been the Tomodachi Bros for the Tomodachi Bros podcast, and we will see you next time. This podcast has much honor. Thank you for listening to the Tomodachi Brothers Review Podcast, produced and recorded by The Hipster Snack, Ditaku, and Cog. Sound design and editing by executive producer Sean Taylor Brown with Cog Sound Engineering. Music written and performed by Sean Taylor Brown with Costas Voss of Core Inside Studio on the drums. We hope you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.